1: Wednesday night edition of the Dunked On Basketball podcast. Got a big show. We're finally going to start getting into free agency, looking at the free agent point guard class. And then we also got to wrap up Boston and Chicago and Atlanta, Washington. But first, a big announcement. Danny and I have started a Patreon account to support this, but maybe even more so the Twitter NBA show that we've been doing just about nightly during the playoffs as a second screen experience, you know what that's been basically. And so what Patreon is, it's essentially a way for you to subscribe to our content and support us as we're trying to make a living here as independent podcasters and Periscope show hosts. There isn't really an er for that, but I'm really excited about this and I hope that rather than going the advertising model for the Twitter MBA show, that we'd be able to make it worthwhile to keep doing that with this Patreon subscription model. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It's a good experiment and I want to see whether it works.
2: And to be abundantly clear For those that enjoy Dunked On We are not changing the model for Dunked On It is going to be, you know, a free show That is supported by advertising This is a way for you guys to to, For you to support us outside of that If you you want to and also to make it And we're we're also giving bang for the buck here We're going to do, part of the discussions As you and I have been planning this for a little while Has been, okay, what do we want to do So where we're starting is, if you want to There's kind of an added level for those that want additional content We're going to do at least one podcast extra podcast where the questions and the, the questions are all submitted only by our subscribers, like at that level. And then we're gonna do is podcast only for those people. So a special one, no no reduction in dunk dong. We're gonna do that in addition. Same thing with a special Periscope, at least one per month. And then we're gonna do some AMA style stuff as well. So it's been fun. I mean, we kind get of to, get to try out this model. But for those of you who like what we're doing right now, you can do it that way. But if you wanna support us even further so we can continue to make this our livelihood, it's a great way to do it.
1: Yeah, and so we're probably gonna create a special, special, special periscope group that danny will curate for anyone who is a subscriber so you'll be able to get added to that and we'll hopefully do a lot more fun stuff and obviously the more subscribers that we get the more content we'll produce just for the subscribers but you know if you like our stuff now it will remain free and obviously i know we have the ads on dunked on too. only two minutes per hour which hopefully isn't too obtrusive but there are definitely a lot of models out there that have ads i mean any magazine that you subscribe to also has ads in it at, at the same time and so I, was, I don't think that it's too inappropriate to do both at the same time so we explained a little bit more at that patreon link it's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash duncan larue just both of our last names and we explain a little bit more about how it's going to work and we look forward to hopefully getting your continued support and producing content for you for a long time to come. So let's get to producing that content, Danny. Start with Boston and Chicago here. The Bulls, I thought, played a really nice game through three quarters. They had Boston kind of flummoxed. They were up 86-85 early in the fourth quarter. Jimmy Butler had hit a huge three down the end of the third quarter, shouldering Terry Rozier out of the way to put the Bulls up. And then it was a 20- four boston run keyed by great defense ugly shots and turnovers from the bulls the bulls actually had more turnovers than field goals in the fourth quarter and spectacular work from isaiah thomas who finally was able to get on track notice i didn't say untracked by the way there because that doesn't make any sense why would you want to be off a track you want to be on track when you've been off the track you get on the track that that makes you play better uh and then al horford was absolutely spectacular as well in the fourth quarter they finally hit a couple of threes and actually no they didn't hit a single three in the fourth quarter but they finally hit a couple in the second half and were able to take it but it really went back to to me the biggest issue in this series was that Boston just made it really difficult for Chicago to score as they did in those two games in Chicago
2: it was one of the biggest surprises of the first two games just the way that Chicago was able to produce offensively and sure not having Rajon Rondo hurt them in that way but this also feels it to a larger sense like a regression of the mean and I totally agree with you that Chicago played very well in the first three quarters but I was also very in tune with the idea that was paralleling the Houston series to a degree where it felt like Boston was was playing below their expectation Chicago was playing above it and the game was still really close and whenever a game happens like that particularly when the team on the lower end of that is the home team I expect it to go back the other way
1: yeah and that third quarter for Chicago I thought that they did straight up outplay the Celtics more in the first half the third quarter for Chicago I mean Robin Lopez had the hilarious miss of the playoffs as he shot a floater over the backboard from about seven feet but then he made every other shot he was hitting like hook shots mid-rangers getting on the offensive glass Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler were, were hitting shots. Uh, and then Isaiah Cannon scored 13 points on, on six of 11. They brought out, uh, Anthony Morrow who played 17 minutes in this game randomly. Uh, and, but those really didn't seem sustainable because especially in the third, the Celtics were getting amazing shots. They went at the start of the third to high pick and roll and rather than going at robin lopez as they had the plan was to put al horford in the corner so lopez couldn't help and then they screened with jay crowder involving nikola mirotic and mirotic couldn't stay with isaiah thomas either he would drive in set up threes set up dunks uh they'd get to the foul line and chicago never really got any kind of an answer for that and then in the fourth quarter they started involving the bulls uh centers again in those pick and roll and really, uh, although Thomas did have kind of a nightmare shooting day and went one of 10 from three, he was much better in the second half, I thought, whereas he really struggled in the first half.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty solid kind of overall sense of where this went. I was actually surprised that, so MCW played a little bit in that fourth quarter, that they actually weren't a total disaster there like they were in the first half. That was really the only blemish they had in that first half was the, the like two and a half minutes he played.
1: Yeah, and I think Hoyberg actually deserves some credit. This is something that came up when I did the, the solo. Twitter NBA show of like hey is this just Fred Hoiberg like going totally crazy playing Morrow but I mean guess what Carter Williams and Grant who didn't play at all were awful so Morrow at least can make a shot right like and he scored well he hit a couple of tough mid-rangers got to the foul line on on a pump fake uh, and at least was spreading the floor you know because like I mean the Bulls point guards were bad on defense and bad on offense And, and so at least Moro could give them something on offense and they are able to use Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade to initiate a little bit more in canon. I thought, I mean, he played as good as you could ever expect at 36 minutes for this guy uh, after I don't think he had played more than seven since the All-Star break. Um, and this was Morrow's first meaningful action since early April. Um, but I thought that was the right move by Horberg. But then... Uh, boston started going at morrow as well in small small pick and rolls and he really showed again why it is that he never plays because he just was completely inadequate defensively uh in those small small pick and roll actions trying to pick up isaiah thomas or trying to not switch or or whatever like whatever he tried to do it wasn't even clear what how he was trying to execute it because he was just so uh asleep defensively and so i i thought that hoiberg again did a great job of just or i'm sorry Brad stevens again did a great job of just simplifying going after to these bulls weak links because he just has two guys in pick and roll that they can't handle. And another one of those is Al Horford, who had 21 points and, and nine amazing assists. I mean, he was just throwing spectacular passes along the baseline, offhand, diming up shooters. He probably should have he and Thomas Bull should have had way more assists, but they just happen to go nine of forty on three pointers.
2: Horford's diverse skill set was a part of what made him so intriguing for the Celtics in the first place. He does have specific weaknesses, particularly on the defensive glass, and and those have to be noted. But he has has this varied offensive game, which was such an important part of the Hawks success last year and something I think they've really missed, including for parts of the game tonight. And it was good to see the Celtics make strong use of that. They have at other points in the year, but to see it and this was I think the first game where you saw really the whole compliment. He had been nice as a pick and roll player before, but to use him to move the ball and to find open guys.
1: Yeah, he also went two of four on three pointers as well. It was seven eleven from the field for his 20. 20- he even got to the foul line, which he never does for five attempts and then we have mentioned the name avery bradley yet i thought he had a great game had 17 in the first half as isaiah was really struggling and they're just trying to keep afloat somehow i mean a lot of guys just you know couldn't hit a shot like smart was broke today two out of seven crowder went 0 for five two for 11 in total gerald green didn't have the type of performance that he had in game four he got the keith bogans both halves they did get something from kelly olenek who, who was excellent um, but. I thought that Bradley, he also just totally shut down Jimmy Butler. And I thought I liked the matchups that they went to with Crowder guarding Wade and... Bradley guarding Butler and Bradley just tired him out. Like Butler wasn't able to go through Bradley when he did. They were, had some nice double teams when he really started to get the advantage. And Jimmy Butler, I think he only attempted two shots in the fourth quarter, in large part due to Bradley's efforts. And you can't really blame fatigue as much with Butler because uh he was only on pace for like 40 minutes. You know, a normal playoff load only took 15 shots. And they didn't have him guarding Isaiah either. You know, he didn't have really anyone that difficult to guard. Uh, he was icing his knee afterwards and you know said he'd be fine but maybe he was struggling there I saw him limping a little bit in, in game four but you know I think Bradley was just unbelievable this is the type of performance from Bradley again you know he didn't do anything as a help defender and, and that's always got to go on his ledger but this is the type of performance that makes people say hey this guy's got to be all defense because Jimmy Butler uh you know just was not able to get loose at all in this one
2: there were also some real highlights while he didn't have a great game overall there were some highlights for Terry Rozier including maybe the first dunk I can remember seeing him make as a professional professional some hit some in college but doing yeah, he's, that
1: he's had some he definitely that guy can get up he, and, he can um but maybe we just happen to be watching different games so definitely seen it for him yeah
2: before, that's entire it's before. entirely possible and also they were able to get i i would say it was a better contribution from you know marcus smart overall and and olenic i think had a little bit of better game because this was not the the prime gerald green whatever <laughs> that is
1: yeah whatever that is indeed by the way uh terry Rozier uh had three dunks this year so it, it was pretty darn rare and zero last year huh? not sure on his d-league stats though we, we, maybe we won't dig quite that far um, no i
2: don't think we need to go into the red clause just yet
1: so what did you think of Dwayne wade's game uh 26 points 7 of 18 from the field 10 of 10 from the foul line 2 of 6 on threes also had eight assists and uh it was only a minus one which was a surprise usually he'll be in the negative and butler will be in the positive that was switched around in this game
2: i think the box score overstates it a little bit just because there were some absolutely horrendous defensive possessions in there
1: oh yeah yeah. But, especially on the defensive only, glass really exactly
2: bad. that's where it was gonna go like his man still defense had nine shaking.
1: defensive rebounds but yeah i mean there are a couple where he just like completely like one bradley tip in in the first quarter first either first quarter or first half where you know wade just didn't even move he just walked the entire possession another one where he had horford boxed out and just like didn't even react to the ball and horford got well, an and, offensive rebound and set up thomas for a three
2: and then there was that possession where he like started defending the the first action like the first time i think he was on bradley at the time he went around Corner and then he just stopped and then he just stood there and kind of like he did the I I it's so mean that I always think of David Lee for this but the act like you're actually doing something but you're actually doing nothing to help your team defense and when you get kind of tangled up and no no
1: David David Lee is is like you know the ultimate progenitor of that defense so so I I understand it
2: good good to get that validation from you so yeah I think that's a concern but at the same point that's not what his role is on this team you know his job is to to put the ball in the basket to help keep the offense going in. He was okay at that
1: yeah and you know remember too that like four of his 10 free throws were you know just or actually five of his 10 free throws I think no it was four because uh we're just like get the guy in the air on like a 22 foot jumper and, and get a foul which you know it's hard to say that that's like the result of him like really playing well in a sustainable way that's just a mistake by the defense and he hit a couple of, of threes but he also took a couple of really bad threes on like zero pass possessions in the second half um but you know he was about all they had from a creation standpoint he was basically operating as the point guard uh and then lopez was fantastic with his 14 points four assists and had three offensive rebounds but the bulls overall as a team only had five offensive rebounds and that was in the guards butler rondo like those guys have been part a big part of the bulls getting killed or the bulls killing him on the offensive glass in the first two games rondo tried to play and then you know did a workout and had the, a cast off his arm but then said you know it wasn't really possible because the tip of his thumb is broken. Broken and if it like falls on it or gets hit you know they said that there could be severe damage maybe he'll try to play again in, in game six but um yeah i mean the, there's there wasn't that much there for the bulls other than just you know i thought some unsustainable shot making and you know performances by guys who are who a little bit over their head uh miritich did nothing in this game i still think that it would be nice to see him get a little more versatility to his performance whether it's you know on a switch getting into the post or just pump faking and driving but you know he wasn't really touching the ball except for taking threes all six of his shots were threes and he, he was two out of six uh for only six points um yeah, I mean, what else do you have to say about this one?
2: How weird was it to see Anthony Morrow take five shots in a game and have none of
1: them be threes? Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he can like kind of work to his spot to sort of like he a can. Chris Middleton it's just, light sometimes.
2: I mean, it's, not, it's just not where his pros buttered. And that, that one where he he drew, was it Kelly Olynyk? I think it was Olenek where he drew him in the, drew him in the air and got two free throws was, was amusing just because he, it, it wasn't something you see him do very often.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, The Bulls did kind of lose their composure at the end of though i totally understand why robin lopez did because after jay crowder got knocked down he pulled the matthew delvedova leg lock on lopez lopez then turned to the referee to say hey he's grabbing his my foot with his leg and then someone drove in for a layup, and and lopez couldn't get over there in time because he first got distracted by the leg lock and then couldn't move because of the leg lock and then he tried to complain and he got teed up after like sarcastically clapping uh, at ed malloy uh and yeah the refs just totally blew that one i have no idea how they missed it I saw it in real time um and then Wade he got another technical foul as well that was part of their meltdown and then at one point in the fourth uh I think the Celtics no they scored outscored the Bulls 29-16 in the fourth to win it by 11 and the Celtics scored all of their points either in the paint or at the foul line in the period
2: wow that's amazing yeah cuz yeah, they they made their threes in the third quarter so yeah it, it's it's wild to see the Celtics team kind of succeed in different ways over the course of games but they have a lot of you know they have a lot of different guys guys who can produce and you know Isaiah still was able to to do it even though it was in those circumstances
1: you know in the Celtics shot nine out of 40 and there's a couple of ways to look at that one is this Bulls defense wasn't that good and I agree I don't think it was like it never looked like Boston was struggling to get good shots and they ended up with a 117 offensive rating despite the fact that they only shot 22 percent on their 43 pointers so uh they and they shot 23 out of 23 from the foul line which isn't really an excessive number didn't have a whole huge number of offensive rebounds either. Um, and it was a really slow pace. So, uh, And, of course, the Celtics destroyed the Bulls in the fast break, too. I and mean, that's been one of the biggest things the Bulls have desperately missed without Rondo is just any kind of pace. I mean, Wade and Butler are guys who can facilitate the offense in the half court, but neither of them is going to, like, push the ball at all. And Cannon is not that guy either. So only four fast break points for the Bulls, 12 for the Celtics. And the Celtics got much more just in a... You know, secondary break, uh, well, yeah, semi transition. That, that, that plays one too.
2: cannon fast break where the ball just went flying was pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> like uh, all of a
2: sudden, it, looked, it looks like he's dribbling in for a layup, and then all of a sudden, the ball's just gone. I was like okay so uh,
1: but uh, back to the Celtics three-point shooting you know giving up 43 point attempts is not good some of them were not great some of them were in the late clock some of them were kind of contested by guys who are not great shooters you know I mean Bradley is really the only guy you'd look at as like a really reliable three-point shooter except Thomas but Thomas has totally struggled in this series he was one for 10 and now for the series he is eight for 38 so 21 percent on three-pointers in the series so that that is really bad uh that's the type Of shots that he really was huge that he was able to up his volume from there and make those shots. So that's going to need to come around if they're going to have more success against harder opponents later in the playoffs, assuming they can take care of business in these last couple of games. I thought, in terms of adjustments, we didn't see any of what the Celtics did with that basically a zone to hide Isaiah. The bigger adjustment was for the small, small pick and rolls. If they, if like Cannon was the roll man, they would bring a guy over from the opposite wing and then have Thomas run and try and find another guy on the weak side. That didn't really work very well. The Celtics, especially in the third, had some big mistakes with that where they would both run to the same guy. And, you know, there was one where they both ran to Miritich and then Wade was wide open underneath for a layup, you know, those type of mistakes. So I didn't really care for that strategy. I would have liked to have seen him at least try. That strategy where they pre-switched whoever was coming up to set the pick and roll and had smart setup, but I thought the Bulls did a better job of getting into their offense early on those plays because if you're going to get those switches, you need more time to really attack them and let the other switches develop around the court and you know get penetration and then swing the ball around. So uh, I thought the Bulls did okay there. I mean, I'm just I'm not really sure what else the Bulls can do at this point i mean they don't have an answer still for isaiah and high pick and roll they tried trapping him a little bit horford destroyed them on those plays uh i mean i think probably the next thing would be go under uh, on isaiah and and see if he can get out of this shooting slump that he's been in from three and see if his confidence is still there and just hope that he's gonna miss i think that's really the only tactic they haven't tried yet and you normally can't do that on isaiah because he's deadly out there but uh with him kind of cold maybe i'd give that a shot and see and they were kind of doing that in the by the time the fourth quarter rolled around.
2: They're pretty deep into the David strategies now at this point, just because they, they're at yeah. a huge talent disadvantage. And something else that I thought was was striking, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but Chicago had more turnovers than made field goals in the fourth quarter. And that is partially yeah, yeah, a I testament. Yeah, I did mention
1: that early on, yeah.
2: That, that's partially a testament from what I could tell to Boston, and some of it was also the Bulls missing a few shots they could have made.
1: Yeah, the Bulls did have 16 turnovers in a very slow-paced game, only 92 possessions. And... I mean, I think the other thing for the Bulls is how are they going to get Jimmy Butler free? I mean, with Smart, who I think, you know, he's a a great one-on-one guy on Wade. Crowder is totally good on Wade. Bradley, they can't get him off of Butler. And Butler is not a guy who really works that well off the ball right he wants to get the ball he wants to survey He want to take some dribble maybe a pick and roll maybe an iso you know he'll just kind of post up 20 feet from the basket turn and try and attack and uh Butler's too or, or uh Bradley's too good for that and Bradley you know he's able to stick with like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry coming off of screens Butler not a guy who really works that well without the ball other than just the occasional alley-oop and they also have so little ball handling on the floor that he's got to handle the ball out top a lot too and that's you know that's not where he has the advantage the advantage on Bradley Bradley has the quickness advantage on him uh so it's really tough to see now especially without Rondo and without the ability to really run a pick and roll and get much uh and even Horford is really mobile of like what they can do to get Butler free I mean has anything come to mind for you?
2: Not really. I mean, I I think that they're kind of they're kind of at an impasse here. And it did. I I give them full credit, though. I mean, this was another one where I think it was probably around halftime, maybe late in the second quarter where I went. The Bulls are like they have a chance to do this again. I still thought that, you know, things were going to, as I said, regress back to the mean. But I've been impressed with them in this series overall. I, I really have been. And I wasn't expecting a feel good story out of the Chicago Bulls in this
1: playoffs. Yeah, I thought they played really about as well as you could hope that they could play in, in this game. Um, to stay in it this long, it was a raucous Boston crowd. Um, and and I, I expect the Celtics to close it out in Game 6. I mean, they're obviously on a three-game winning streak. Maybe if Rondo can return and give them something, but, you know, it's hard to imagine that that would be the case. So, uh then I, I, I and then in game seven, you know, it's still it's hard to imagine that this Bulls team could do it. But they they also, you know, have had some times where they've just summoned these crazy efforts. So I'm not willing to completely count them out. But, you know, it looks like they are pretty much at death's door. And, you know, this is one where you feel like Boston's got like a 90 percent chance of winning the series now, yeah, as totally they should the as the one seed. <laughs> yeah,
2: we forget that sometimes.
1: All right, we'll move on here to Washington and Atlanta. But first, this from our friends at ZipRecruiter. Like so much of the internet now, when you're hiring, it's really impossible to know exactly where you should be posting a job, right? When I was working as a lawyer, I worked at a small firm, so I had a little bit of a role in looking at potentially hiring and screening candidates. But we didn't really know where to find people. Like, every once in a while, we would, like, post just an ad on Craigslist, and we'd actually get pretty decent candidates there. They're, you know, the Bay Area lawyer magazines. Are you going to go there? Are you going to post on you know, a more general website. And with ZipRecruiter, they make that a lot easier because now you don't have to log in to like five different things. You can post your job to a hundred plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, and do it with a single quick click. A single quick click. That's where I was going with that. ZipRecruiter's website is really, really easy to use. You don't have to juggle emails or calls to your office. You can screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person, get the right person in for an interview fast. And if you run into any issues, ZipRecruiter is friendly and human. Support staff is ready to help. So right now, the way to get started with ZipRecruiter, my listeners can post jobs for free there by going to ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. Easy to remember that URL because we talk about Capspace all the time on the program. ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. One more time, try ZipRecruiter for free. And of course, let them know that you came from us at ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. So this Washington-Atlanta game was one of those ones where you felt like Washington was outplaying them most of the way. They obviously have the talent advantage in this series. And yet, a lot of Atlanta's players were struggling. And there were like three or four times in this game when Washington would go up by eight, go up by seven. And then you'd think like, all right, here we go. They're going to seize control. They're going to get a double-digit lead. And that just somehow never happened in this game. And it ended up being uh, pretty close to a nail-biter for the Wizards, until finally John Wall, in the battle of point guards who were being defended by going under, made a jumper with 47 seconds left to put them up by four, and Atlanta uh, never scored again. The final score was 103.99.
2: While there were certain certainly things to enjoy in this game, it really did feel interminable for me. It just took forever and I got a little bit angry when Markeith Morris got called for that technical not only because it was just such a such a silly thing to get really really mad about at the moment but I was just sitting there going is this really going to keep going because it had as you said it had been so many false finishes and what I thought was so prominent in that was just Dennis Schroeder making a a fair amount of tough shots throughout this game
1: yeah Schroeder another really nice game 29 points 11 assists although as our buddy Dawkins MTA who of course does all those great highlight videos noted he said that basically only like he was only going to show four of their assists because the rest of them were just like, you know, pass it to a guy who takes three dribbles in from the perimeter and, and makes a layup, uh you know, after beating his man, you know not really an assist leading directly to a bucket. So I don't know how much credit you want to give uh, for those uh, 11 assists to Schroeder, but nonetheless, I mean, he, what made him so good in this one was he went five out of six on three pointers and was four of four in the first half. In the first half, he actually was four of four on threes and one of five on twos. And I was asked during, and and so obviously it was a good performance. He played 38 minutes. He was plus three. And I was asking, hey, you know, he's four or four on threes in the first half. Should they change the strategy? Should they stop going under on him? And I said, no way. Absolutely not.
2: It's not like Robertson levels of anything uh, shooting wise, but he has to do so much more to prove it considering his struggles overall.
1: Well, and you also have to keep in mind that by going under you're not just limiting Schroeder the strategy is we're going to play the pick and roll two on two and we're going to do that by not making our somewhat slow-footed center Marcin Gortat or, or Jason Smith the backup center defend out in space against Schroeder and let him blow by us and we're going to not make our wings suck in off of these three-point shooting wings from Atlanta and have to defend the roll man and so while Schroeder he might score he's not really opening up that much for teammates and that's why you know I thought his assist total was a little bit misleading as well you know it's not like he was driving to the bucket drawing a ton of help and then like diming guys up on the perimeter or anything so you know, a lot of it was just swing the ball around and then let's let this guy do it. So you, you can't only include in the calculus, well, hey, Schroeder is four of four on three-pointers because there's a bunch of other possessions where he didn't get penetration. And even if he is scoring, you're at least holding down the other guys. And Atlanta's wings, in part just due to their own misses, but in part because of the fact that Washington wasn't over-helping on Schroeder, they shot really poorly. Prince finally had a bad game. He was four of 11, 0 oh, of three on threes. Bazemore really struggled offensively. Three of 12, 0 oh, of five on threes two turnovers. Tim Hardaway, six of 18, three of 10 on threes, did have 15 points uh, on 18 shooting possessions.
2: And I mean, you could throw an air slot in Ilyasova too. I mean, Ilyasova kind of plays like a perimeter guy, one of six from the field, zero, of, and only one of those was a three.
1: Yeah. And uh, Ilyasova, the rest of his shots were layups on which he went one of five. He definitely yeah. struggled around the rim. It was, wasn't too fantastic there. Um, Some
2: of those were putbacks too, from what I remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're are, there are, there are like him getting blocked or missing a layup and then trying to get a putback. I think, it's actually not called a put back because put back implies that it actually goes back into the basket. So it was just more of a put (laughs) that, that didn't actually go back in for, for he had a couple of just really pathetic situations where he didn't have the explosion around the rim. Um, and defense i thought atlanta did well to score as well as they did considering they're only nine out of 31 on threes they also are being kicking themselves out of going only 14 to 21 from the foul line and then another thing too you know milsap only five of six from the foul line in this one did get a couple of questionable calls on marquee who of course uh this will shock you spent the entire game in foul trouble and only played 20 minutes but Millsap was trying to drive late, had two or three times where he either just threw up a terrible shot or, you know, just lost it, trying to go through guys for fouls and just didn't get the call. And, the, and that happened in their last chance, really, where they were down four. He shot, tried to go in and score and get a foul call, didn't get it, and, you know, that was basically the game. Uh, so in the fourth quarter, he struggled a little bit, and a lot of it was the refereeing, although he did get... Maybe the most ridiculous one, and there's always a lot of competition for this, the most ridiculous, like, feel contact and throw up some bullshit foul. He may have actually, like, literally been standing with his foot inches from the baseline behind the backboard. He tried to, like, squeeze past, I think it was Morris, on the baseline, and he's, like, literally behind the backboard and throws it up, and the referee immediately signals shooting foul after the contact had occurred. And it's just like, no, it's not a shooting foul. He's behind the backboard. It would be physically impossible for a shot from this spot to hit the rim unless he shoots it 35 feet in the air and they still give him a shooting fall i couldn't believe it
2: something else i wanted to note about this game that i thought was interesting and a couple of them were nice plays by bradley beal the wizards blocked 10 shots in this game it was a 10 to 2 margin and the 10 is a lot but also think about that theoretically atlanta has at least dwight howard who should be able to block some Millsap has done a good job of that during his career and he had zero
1: well it was very interesting that you mentioned that because the hawk strategy especially when Howard is in the game and with Miscala as well is basically our centers are not leaving the paint under any circumstances There was like one play where Howard stepped out on Beal in the late clock I mean I think in the late clock you should adjust that because you don't want to just give up a wide open mid-ranger when there's five on the shot clock and it's too late for them to get anything at the rim anyway so you might as well bring your big out at that point but other than that Howard just stayed in the lane and the Wizards only got four shots in the restricted area in the first half uh quarter and and then even down the end, it was just we were saying it on the Tour NBA show that they could get whatever they wanted, either in mid-range or even floaters at the dotted line. And Beal started to eat on that as on his way to 27 points. Eventually, uh, what, he went 11-22, of 22, one of nine on threes, which meant that he, he made... 10 out of 13 on twos and most of those really were plays where he was getting to his sweet spot off a screen you know Hardaway was struggling to guard him and then finally they switched up Beal actually was guarding Schroeder and Schroeder was guarding Beal Uh, and and while Beal struggled defensively in the first quarter he really improved and I thought that he was part of them finally being able to hold down Atlanta a little bit in the fourth quarter when the the teams played to a 20 to 20 tie
2: I feel like this question is more interesting in this series than in the in the Celtics series but what did this game teach you about the remaining one or two games left in the series?
1: Well, in some ways, it's just going to be, as I alluded to earlier, the battle of the mid-range jumpers. And while they're not necessarily going under on Beale, they are going way under on Wall. And then, of course, Atlanta is going way under, or, or then Washington's going way under on Shooter. And so it's just like whichever of those teams makes more of the mid-range jumpers or maybe deep threes in the case of Schroeder when they go under, that's the team that's going to win. And I thought that even though Schroeder hit most of his shots, Washington did just enough for their part in this one, Beal in particular, and then Wall, of course, hit that that icing shot uh, with under a minute left.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so much inconsistency with both of these teams, and the concern about Washington not really having that that killer instinct, and the the egg that they laid in in Game Four is still and that was Game Four, right, where they just got absolutely worked uh, when we got yes. to, when we got uh, to no, take Game naps. Three. Game was Three was three? the one
1: where they were down 38 to 20 after the first quarter. Okay, Game Four See, they were like kind of in it until the fourth.
2: Until the fourth yeah okay so that's right so I, I think that po- that kind of a game is certainly a possibility but the gravity in this series is also going to the Wizards just because I think they have a couple of a couple more options that can have good games so we also should mention Otto Porter I think the most important thing for him he wasn't really getting much from the field but he did get to the line 10 times which is a lot for him
1: yeah which is really random I mean, that's I wouldn't surprise me if that were like pretty close to a season high um I can give you some stats also to talk about the way that Atlanta was defending right only 20 shots in the restriction area they made 14 of them a lot of those were in transition that was the other thing too was that uh the wizards had 20 fast break points in this game and when they were stuck in the half court it was really ugly and they just you know as i said they couldn't really get anything except the ball handler taking a mid-ranger and pick and roll or taking a mid-ranger as he came off a screen on on the side of the floor and got to the middle so 20 shots in the restricted area then they went six out of 14 43 percent in the paint outside the restricted area i guess i think i'm just going to start calling that the floater zone by the way uh just to make it paint outside the restricted area is too clunky and then they took another 24 shots just from straight up mid-range and then they were five of twenty from above the arc, and they only attempted four corner threes. uh And you know that Wall is a master at setting up the corner three, and so they really just by having guys hang back, they just weren't providing a ton of opening to Washington. And I, I did think that Bud aired. I would have liked to have seen him go back to Dwight Howard. I thought Howard, even though he's totally immobile and maybe limits their spacing on the offensive end, that he just is enough of a presence. Like for example, in the first three quarters, I think Gortat didn't score. He maybe had like two free throws. In that was it and then in the fourth he was able to get loose I don't think Howard played a minute in the fourth and Gortat was able to get loose a little bit more they had some miscommunications on the perimeter guys were finally able to drive in and so if Howard just hangs out in the restricted area all the time like Gortat just can't get anything done so I think I would uh, Howard only played 28 minutes in this one he he was negative four he only had five points but I did think that he and then the other thing that I thought Howard did well was that while you you can talk about trying to space out with Muscala, I thought that Howard just had like Gortat kind of shook in terms of just like his offensive rebounding and his lob game and so like Gortat would just get engaged with Howard and like not even come over and guys like Schroeder were able to or, or Prince were able to go in for layups so Howard was a little bit more effective in that re- respect offensively than maybe uh you would think given what his line was um so yeah I mean I, I think for Atlanta though they're gonna need Paul Millsap to be a little bit better than he was he's got to get to the foul line a little bit more it shoot a little bit better than 8 to 19 and I think their defensive strategy is pretty solid. And the other thing is they got to just get back, you know, uh, on defense and maybe score a little bit more. When the Wizards really got it rolling uh, at times in the third quarter, early in the third quarter in particular, they really got rolling. And then markeith got his fourth foul and went out, and Atlanta was able to bring it back right after that. When they really got rolling, it's because they were forcing misses, and then they got like you know ten fast break points in a row early in the third quarter, um and, and that was huge. So I do think Atlanta can stay in this series. I like them to win game six at home this was not remotely a dominating wizards performance i think atlanta actually has outscored the wizards in the series still um and the atlanta has had the lone dominating win in the series so i think we're going to come back for a game seven and you know it might actually be close uh even though i think no one will be talking about this as like some amazing series
2: yeah they'll play game seven on nba tv or maybe on hln but (laughs) but so you're gonna love this Otto Porter not only set a career high in free throw attempts in this game, he only had had more than seven once in his career before today, and that was in March against Toronto. The whole career.
1: And it's funny, probably the most common question that I've been asked on Twitter NBA show is, what's going to, ha- what kind of contract is Otto Porter going to get? Is he going to get the max? And, you know, I think it's kind of viewed as fate accompli that he's going to. And then it was like, all right, is that going to be a bad contract? And, you know, I don't think so because they have no way to replace him and they have, you know, Kelly Oubre is not ready. Uh, I think they would have to match that or, you know, arrive at something that's pretty darn close to the max, but I'm not sure where Otto Porter can go from here because defensively he just doesn't really seem to have the physical talent to be really good he's got the length but he's slow foot. he's not really explosive and he's not strong so he really is going to struggle to guard some of the best guys and you saw there a couple times when Schroeder he got switched on to Schroeder and Schroeder just blew by him right like Schroeder is someone that a guy with his length you'd hope could kind of play off him a little bit and you know keep him in front and then contest it and porter wasn't able to do that uh and then offensively yeah he's got a really sweet jumper when he's open he's uh, improved in that respect more than maybe i even thought possible when he was drafted but he just like can't get his shot you know i mean these 10 foul foul shots were like totally random a lot of them were i don't even remember like how it was that he was getting fouled but it wasn't like he was like you know Going to getting the basket off the dribble, it was all this kind of fast break type of plays.
2: I've been thinking about the idea of how he gets better from here. I think a lot of it has to be on the defensive end, just because offensively he would have to grow so much as a player to really get there. I think about somebody like Clay Thompson, like he would have to kind of do that. And I believe Porter is older now than Clay was
1: when he really started doing that. But yeah, we'll have to see. Would you rather have him or would you rather have Harrison Barnes?
2: I think I'd rather have Barnes. I, I his, you know, they're different things. And I think I'm, if I were the Wizards, I might rather have have porter but in the abstract i think i'd rather have barnes because his defense is good and i think he he showed more off the bounce this year than i expected
1: yeah and barnes can guard power forwards which uh, right. uh post up power forwards with porter is is way too skinny to do i mean neither of them quite has the quickness to really be an elite guy um and then barnes has that iso game although he's not really you know a great passer or shot block or anything um and i think i think also porter is a much better help defender than barnes is although barnes is probably a little better one-on-one um but yeah that's a it's an interesting call i mean barnes got the max and though it was only for four years and 4.5 percent raises you know no one is saying that that's really a terrible contract at this point so maybe you know but it's really barnes at least you could say all right you know he has this pedigree as a scorer porter has never really had that i mean not that i saw barnes averaging 20 a game this year coming at all i'm not going to claim that i did but it was at least more possible than maybe for someone like porter And, and of course he's got guys on his team who are the main scorers also um anything else you wanted to say on this one before we move on well let me ask you this, you know, we you've been like complaining about this series from an aesthetic standpoint, and I can't believe it's going on so long. Like, why do you find it so important?
2: The foul drawing is a part of it, but also the idea, the idea that I haven't been able to get a real read on it has been very frustrating to me. You know, like the the idea that it just kind of is on that randomness, you know, whether the, those pull-up mid-rangers are going to go in or not, and it's it hasn't, other than game three, it hasn't really been any flourishes, it's just been like a few of those rimming in and rimming out. I, I It's just... Kind of all that stuff. It's not. It's not as horrendous as some of the other series that we've seen. Like that. That's a little bit overly overly dramatic on my part, and I apologize for that. But it has. It doesn't have any. You know, other than like the John Wall plays and, and a few things that Schroeder and Millsap have done at at various moments. It hasn't really had any any sizzle or any intrigue to me.
1: Well, I don't really like watching anyone on Atlanta on offense. Um, even Shooter, it's just kind of like, all right, you know, they're going to go under and he's going to shoot a jumper or he's going to just like go as fast as he can and try to beat the help to the backboard and shoot, you know, a pretty artless speed layup uh howard you know has been an eyesore for a long time you know basically since he left orlando Millsap, you know his draw. i enjoy watching paul paul milsap on defense prince is okay like getting in the rim but don't really you know there's nobody Ilya Sova just like tries to take charges and it's just a bore yeah you know, there's really nobody on atlanta where you're like oh man i'm tuning in to see this guy uh and then there are a lot of guys too uh, on the wizards who are frustrating but, but most of all it's just simply that these teams just aren't that good you know it's just like we're seeing matchups like i think like okc or houston would just kill either one of these teams to me you know uh maybe that's not true but uh, in the case of okc but it so, sure seems like okc has a ton more talent on the floor than either of these teams i mean uh and especially the wizards you just hope that they could defend a little bit more like their bench has been kind of miserable i mean this is a team the wizards just like couldn't stop anybody this year atlanta couldn't score atlanta at the worst point differential the wizards are like you know what are they like maybe like the 11th best point differential out of the 16 teams or something like that so it's just these teams just aren't that good i mean i think that's ultimately it like you know if you're an atlanta fan or a washington fan you know i felt we at least owed you an explanation for like why we're shitting on this series i think they know well yeah and this game i mean it started at like six eastern that was so like because you and i were like getting the patreon set up and then it was like 247 i was like okay you know game will start at four like i'm gonna like write our little ditty here about like why uh we think this is a good model for us and then you're like oh you might want to do that later because this game starts at three i was like uh what <laughs> and uh you know like half the wizards fans i like, couldn't even get there for the game It was just it uh, wasn't that great um uh, so let's get to the free agent point guard class in a Minute. I mean this is going to start our off-season preview stuff. We're going to off-season preview all 30 teams. If you're a new listener from a cap perspective, potential free agent targets, potential free agent re-signings, potential trades, Indiana. And then we also before we even do any of that though, we need to familiarize you with who actually are the free agents this year and so we're going to start by doing that with the point guard class right after this. So I've never really been a watch guy. In fact, uh before I was introduced to movement watches, I hadn't owned a watch in over 15 years. I just, once I got a cell phone, I was like, oh, this thing has a clock on it. I'll just take it out of my pocket and look at it whenever I want to know the time. But I really, and I had one when I was younger and actually like got stolen out of my gym locker when I was in college, but I never really lamented it's loss too much. But then when I was introduced to movement watches, my enjoyment of timepieces has been rekindled. But fortunately, it doesn't cost very much for you to rekindle your love of timepieces. Movement watches start at just $95. This kind of styled minimalism and quality is normally going to be $400, $500 in department stores i could never really justify paying that much for a watch uh that's for if you're getting someone a gift you know 400 bucks 500 bucks that's a lot of money for a gift but because movement watches cut out the middleman and sell direct to consumer you don't have to go to a department store or, or watch store there's no reason to pay for their bricks and mortar and their sales who are going to try to upsell you Now you can actually get these as a gift. in fact, that's what my mom did after I got her one of these as a gift. She then got one for a couple of her nieces, my cousins as well. So the way to get started with movement watches, go to mvmtwatchesmovementwatchescom movementwatches.com slash capspace. Just go to that URL and check out all the watches that they have. And I think you'll really find something that you like a lot and be surprised that something you like that much is as inexpensive as these are. And not only do they start at $95, but if you go to that URL, you can get 15% off today, plus free shipping and free returns. And if you're an international listener, you're in luck. It's, this is a great way to support the pod because they ship to over 160 countries they sold over 500,000 watches uh, so that url again is movement watches mvmtwatches.com slash cap space join the movement so the way i like to set this up is i'll order these guys by tiers as we so often do superstar star starter rotation and then fringe which is basically and those obviously are not hard and fast rules and within those categories ranking it can be kind of difficult But two superstar point guards, at least as far as I see them, are available this year. Just no-brainer, max contract guys. Steph Curry, who will be 29 this offseason, and Chris Paul, who has an early termination option that he will almost certainly exercise to become a free agent at age 32. Both of these guys still playing like top five, certainly top 10 players in the NBA.
2: Yeah, I had both of them in my top five of the best players in the league when we did that. I think you had Chris Paul slightly out of that group, and we don't need to spend that much time hand-wringing or whatever you would call it, just musing on where Stephen Curry's going to go. The Warriors are the odds-on favorite for a couple of different reasons, but the most obvious one is that they can pay him the most money due to the designated veteran. It's not the designated veteran extension, because it won't be an extension, but a designated veteran contract.
1: Yeah, if you qualify, you can get that same contract as a free agent. And Curry, that contract currently projects as Five years, $205 million, and basically that allows him to get 35% of the salary cap to start, so the first year salary they're projecting for just over $35 million with the current cap estimate. And then with the new 8% raises, that goes up to $46.7 million in the final year of that contract, 2021-22, where he will be. 33 years old. I would imagine they probably would even give him, you know, an early termination option on that as well. I mean, they should give him whatever contract he wants, considering what he's done for the franchise and how he's toiled on that four year, $44 million extension he signed, you know, which he acknowledges he signed as a way to protect himself uh, when he was coming off those ankle issues. And the organization took on some risks there too. But he, of course, has well outplayed that contract. That contract has enabled them to get great free agents like Kevin Durant. And uh, so, uh, and Andre Iguodala, for that matter, as well. And uh, you imagine, though, I mean, the, the most that he could make if he goes elsewhere, then he can only get the 30% max, which would start at about $30 million a year. And that would be a four-year $130 million contract. So you're talking about a difference of $75 million in guaranteed money between those two contracts. And uh, especially because he's on a championship contender, you have to imagine that will be a no-brainer for him. Paul, though, a more interesting case.
2: Sure. I mean, he's somebody who actually had his Flexibility in terms of length increased due to the CBA, which he helped negotiate. So good job by him for him. And that is more impactful yeah. in terms of the Clippers, because you know the Clippers are the are the team that can really go all out. And with Chris Paul at this point, the real question to me is what is most important to him? And as much as we like to think about these from a basketball perspective, that's part of our job. Being good at this sort of part of the business is also trying to figure out some of the personal stuff. And with Chris Paul, that might be a little bit hard to calibrate. He certainly seems like a family guy. I talked about this with Dan Wojcicki on Real Jam Radio a while back about the idea of what Chris Paul might want to do. But what has changed for me this season is the idea that the Clippers, I don't think he can really hold the idea in his head right now that the Clippers are a championship contender anymore.
1: And what's more than that, they have no way to become so either. I mean, even if they re-sign Blake Griffin, Griffin showing his age, his injury history, Paul has his own injury history as well. He, you know, is going to really need to, I mean, he's, it's amazing that he's maintained this level of performance as long as he has, frankly. Um, And so, but at some point he's going to have to have his minutes reduced into the low thirties, and you know, kind of be on more of a Spurs timeline. And that, and there's been a lot of talk like, oh, why doesn't he go to the Spurs? And obviously, it would be an unbelievable fit there. But the Spurs to come up with 35 million in cap space would be very difficult for them. Paul, of course, is is said to really like being in LA, and you know, the Clippers still there's not as much of an advantage in what they can offer him over Curry because other teams can also offer him the 35 percent max since he has over 10 years of experience now so the difference in contracts there would be 205 million over 5 years versus 152 million over four years. So still a pretty pretty big difference, especially when you consider, you know, he's 32 now. We're talking about his age 36, 37 season when he would be making that forty six point seven million dollars. And so you have to imagine there's no way that he could make that much as a thirty-seven-year-old. You you wanna this is a great way to make guys overpay. And the rule you were talking about was it used to be if you had a contract that would take you over age 36 then the longest you could do is a three-year contract but it very much paraphrasing there's more nuance to it than this but now that got changed to 38 and so they can fit his entire five-year contract in under age 38 LeBron James also will benefit from that rule as well so you'd have to imagine because he specifically engineered that rule and he likes being in LA and can get so much more money he's an odds-on favorite to stay but I mean if, especially if they go out in the first round to Utah you know maybe that'll change and maybe there'll be some other destination destination. destination but other than san antonio it's really hard to think of exactly where that would be that would have a combination of opportunity at the point guard position and be good enough uh you know i mean maybe boston might be another one but you know then they would probably need to move isaiah thomas for him to want to be there for example so uh yeah it'll be be very interesting i mean but i think it, it seems like he would, is going to return there i mean that i would say you know 80% chance he's going to be back there just even even if we make the assumption that they're going to lose uh on friday to the jazz
2: and I don't see Paul at this point taking a massive pay cut, especially because there isn't a team where he could do that. And then they would all of a sudden open up space. Like if he went to Cleveland or he went, you know, wherever like that, none of those teams are, are just kind of sitting on a pile and basically saying, Oh, well, if you we wait for one year, then we can, then we can cash you out. That's not the way this works anymore. There isn't a team that is in that circumstance unless he, you know, really wanted you. So, so he, he's going to have to make a very well, San
1: Antonio might be, the, might, be the only one actually because maybe uh you know if they were to lose aldridge and and danny green and tony parker expires after this year you know the san antonio is gonna have a lot of flexibility next summer but uh yeah i mean i I agree with you let's move on here to another guy yeah 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 well so well we still got the star category and that's uh cal lowry who if you just look at what he's done in the regular season and some of the advanced metrics he's really like you know just uh, i mean he's not as good of a player as curry and paul but he has you know been close to a top 10 player in the nba the last two or three years if you look at what he's done when he's actually been on the floor but at age 31 some of his playoff struggles uh you know he's not in that class of player but certainly a guy who looks to be in line for a potential max contract as well how many years of service does he have is he in the the seven to nine year experience 30 percent max or the 10 plus 35 percent max all right, he's 11 years of experience. So he can get with another team a max contract again starting four years, 152 million. And Toronto can offer him that two hundred million dollar contract, but especially depending on what happens with Toronto's season here. If we assume they lose to the Cavs in the second round, I mean they're not. I don't know if they're going to want to offer him that. And then you know a team like Philly, they're probably thinking, hey, he's from Philly, he's a good fit with Ben Simmons. We need a vet. We got nothing else to spend our money on. Hey, why not? You know, same thing with Brooklyn, right? Like that, they're not trying to tank for. And you could even think of like if you're a team like Philly or Brooklyn, like hey, we could trade this guy later. You know, maybe it'll be an asset on this contract. Brooklyn might be thinking that if they want to find tank once they get their draft pick back in 2019
2: he's also a player that is interesting in this class because there are a lot of teams that can make an argument for him and that if he wasn't going to go to the raptors he could certainly consider some of the ones that you mentioned are, are, are there like i think gordon hayward is going to probably have a narrower pool of suitors not because he's a, a bad player in any way but just because he's going to probably narrow that himself if lowry opens it up i think he's going to open it way up and remember he it sounded like he was interested in miami last time around and then he ended up going back to Toronto
1: yeah I don't see that happening though because they already have Draga oh no no I was just saying
2: in the idea of a wandering eye not in terms of the idea of him him going to Miami this time
1: yeah and you have to imagine that the Knicks they might try to figure out a way to make some space for him as well uh I would see Philly obviously as a potential suitor Brooklyn but I mean even some of those things like getting to 35 million dollars and of course Sacramento I'm sure would just offer him a max contract immediately but those are really the only Teams that have a need at point guard, and maybe Minnesota. Minnesota might be another one, actually. But you know, they're I think they're more looking to for, for something on the wing. But these teams, actually, the Lakers would be another one, and I don't see them trying to do it, especially if the. And a lot of this, also, by the way, I mean, for Philly, for example, what if they get the number one pick? You know, now and they're going to draft marco Fultz. Now, are you going to sign Kyle Lowry? Maybe not. So that's another big variable in this point guard market that Bobby Marks, in particular, has been hitting on, and he's right about this. That I mean. Probably four of the top six, pro- six or seven prospects in the draft are point guards: Dennis Smith, Fox, Lonzo Ball, Bolts. And so, if you draft a point guard, you're not going to want to spend a four year max or close to max contract on some of these, even the guys who are a little bit below in this tier, like George Hill or um, Drew Holiday, uh, Jeff Teague. That's another one too. Maybe Indiana could be a, a team that would look at him a little bit, but you know, that's a, a, it. Wouldn't shock me if he does not get a max um, and. and philly to me is the big wild card like they'll make the offer i think but if they sign Foltz or so or if they have get Foltz or ball or someone else that they think could be a starter for them all of a sudden that doesn't really make a ton of sense
2: and remember that the draft is before free agency so i mean they could of course have interactions with his agent i think that'd be a fair way of a fair way yeah. of putting and Larry,
1: it and Lowry, by the way i mean just to doubt all the odds he actually has a player option he's clearly going to opt out he's only due i mean that's that deal by Ujiri. Uh, four years, 48 million fourth year player option was an absolute steal early on in 2014 free agency, um, where he kind of struck early with him and Patterson when everyone else was just waiting around for LeBron James to make his decision for 11 days. So that that was a genius deal. But now, you know, obviously, uh, they have full bird rights on him. So I mean, if I had to guess, and again, we don't know how their season is going to end. I mean, I could see him going back to Toronto on something like you know a three-year max deal with like a slight non-guarantee on the fourth year or something like that i mean that's my prediction but it really the draft is such a wild card with this
2: i think that if i were to if i were to say it i think my prediction is that it the contract is going to look a lot like what a three plus one would be with another team with a fifth year yeah. on on it so basically with that structure i think that's going to be kind of yeah. the ground i mean, and I mean what at
1: 31 I... that's going to get ugly though man i mean oh, it's a, gonna a lot of these are going to get ugly yeah but
2: the other thing that Toronto can do, and I you could argue that this would be really short-sighted, is that they could go with that structure, but actually backload it heavier by just you know using the annual raises, and that would lower their luxury tax bill in the 2017-18 season, which would be nice, but it would make it even worse in the later seasons. But that that that's, might be a trade-off that they're willing to take on.
1: Let's play a little game here. Uh, So we've got, let's say Paul and Curry stay put. I think that looks pretty likely, right? So then you've got Lowry, Teague... Drew George Hill are really probably the other guys where you're like all right we signed this guy we feel good about having a starter at this position for next year. Well after you get below that we'll get to those guys obviously. Um so that's really four guys, right? How many slots are there really going to be for potential max free agent point guards? I mean they're they're are incumbent teams. Although if Hill were to leave Utah unless Hayward leaves also like Utah wouldn't be able to replace him. Um so so there's
2: and the same thing is true with drew i I believe the same thing is true with drew in new orleans
1: yeah new orleans because drew is a pretty small cap hold if they lose drew they could get to about 15 million in space and then they would have to open open up a little bit more space than that maybe by moving someone or 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 whatever uh but yeah i mean they 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 wouldn't have anywhere close to max space unless they really like were able to just dump somebody uh you know maybe they we could see them stretching ashik at this point um to try to get to some more space if they lose drew and they're just desperate to try and get somebody in um but that's you know new orleans very likely would not be able to offer the contract other than to drew because they have his bird rights to any of the other guys uh let's see who else is out there that needs a point guard chicago yeah that's one that we haven't thought about but uh but Chicago really seems kind of committed to this idea of waiting until 2018 free agency when they can get more bang for their buck. And if they hold on to Rondo and Wade, they're not going to have any space at all. Uh, if they move on from Rondo and move on from Miritich, they could get up to about $30 million and they hold on to Wade. If they move on from Miritich, Rondo, and Wade, now they're at like $50 million. Um, But hard to imagine Wade opting out. You know, I mean, who's going to give him a better deal in a better place than uh, Chicago unless he decides he just wants to go, you know, the like... Take a $5 million deal in Cleveland type of thing. And it doesn't seem like that's really where he is at this point in his life. And he's, you know, he's got his kids in school in Chicago and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, it seems more likely to me that he would opt in. So, you know, n- not uh, maybe Chicago, but, you know, good chance that maybe not. Um, Denver, they don't need a point guard. Cleveland, Dallas, not going to have any room. Golden State, not going to have any room. Houston, maybe, could be interested in a player like that. But I think they're going to want more on the wing. They're going to need to maybe get supplement their big man depth. They, they, but they need some more wings who can actually play some defense with Trevor Ariza about to be a free agent. So I think they'll be more concentrating there indiana if they lose teague you know all all these guys incumbent teams indiana if they lose teague could get to you know about 20 million and and actually they dumped stucky as well so so indiana would be able to get max space if they lose teague so that's another one so we basically got like new orleans indiana right now maybe chicago and, and we'll try and go a little quicker with it the Lakers, I don't see them in that market. I don't necessarily see Minnesota in that market. Miami has a point guard already. And you know what's so amazing? The, the team yeah. that we
2: haven't mentioned that certainly could use a point guard, Orlando. But they don't, they can't clear enough space because of all the crappy money on their books.
1: Yeah, that's true too. I mean, maybe they'll make a trade and get there. um Yeah,
2: they're, if they dumped Vooch, they could get pretty close.
1: Yeah, and there's Philly, Phoenix. But then remember, you know, Orlando, Philly, Phoenix, Sacramento obviously is one that is desperately going to need a point guard. Uh, but Sacramento might draft a point guard too i mean if you look at like if the lottery gets distributed wrong you could see what some of these guys like a little bit more out in the cold maybe than we're expecting uh it it remains to be seen how that goes and you know once we find out how the lottery goes and uh we'll have a little bit better of an idea of this so but we're probably taking a little bit too long here we can get into this more when we do the individual teams but I'm going to just ask you, lightning Ron here, 20 seconds each, what contract would you be comfortable paying Drew Holiday and feel like, hey, we actually got a deal that's not going to be awful by the end of it?
2: Probably about starting starting at about, and I like to use starting salary just because I think that's easier yeah. to calibrate. Four years, starting salary around $23 million.
1: That's about what I was thinking too. George, uh, so Ho- Holiday is 27. George Hill, age 31.
2: Probably the same, but three years or four yeah, years I mean, at a reduced annual value
1: and recall that Hill basically turned down what most people believe to be a max extension that would have been essentially when you consider the renegotiation and extension essentially a three year deal worth about 88 million and so it'll be interesting to see whether he gets more than that he has not had a good playoff so far uh coming back from that groin injury and at 31 i mean he he had a great year for utah better than anyone expected but also you know i don't think that his stature around the league is as high as it might be in these parts and you know towards the end he's taken a step back offensively too um so yeah i think something that that's about right like three years 66 million something like that would be about like what i would feel good about with him you know kind of average average starter money for three years with the idea that he's going to decline uh jeff teague age 29
2: four years 16 start or three years 18 start
1: yeah, that that seems about right too. I mean, and even that you know if you still think of an average starter as maybe, you know, a 16-17 million dollar a year player, no way Jeff Teague is an average starter in 3 years. He's probably yep. even average starter now if you squint hard so all right that's interesting now we'll see whether those guys actually get more than that or not i imagine well and and
2: remember the nature of the auction process is there are two different things one is
1: it only takes one asshole is is, is number one
2: it only takes one and the idea that they that agents are good at you know pitting like one or two teams just really against each other to to push it up in that way and and i i I think that we could very well see all of those guys get more than we than we just said because somebody's going to value them higher than more highly than we do
1: okay so here i have rotation i think the head of and that's a guy who you know maybe can start for you in a pinch but you know you're probably not feeling like hey we're signing this guy and you know he's gonna be our starter for sure for the next three years so I think there's two guys I see really at the head of that. That's Patty Mills at 29 and Darren Collison at 29.
2: Both those guys can certainly start in a pinch. I define rota- rotation a little bit differently. To me, a rotation guy, I, the min- the the I agree with you on the ceiling. The floor to me is a guy who I don't have any doubt that they deserve NBA minutes. So like I think that's kind of the dif- where the dividing line is for yeah. some of these guys. But well, yeah, and, yeah those-
1: some of those guys are there to me too. But I mean, it's, it, I, I don't see either of these guys as like this guy is a starting point guard. Like right. you know.
2: Right. So um, and, and poor Patty Mills. I mean, he, he had that chance to really to really cash out a couple of years ago, had the shoulder issue, took what I thought was less money than he deserved to go with the Spurs. And, you know, you could say that that turned out, yeah. you know, turned out well. For was him. that
1: three years? Twelve million, something like making that, making like four million a year. And then so,
2: now he's probably a little bit too old and it's a little bit too deep a, a stock for him to get that real that real big contract
1: he'll get 10 million a year for like, like he'll get like three, three years, 30 million, three years, 36 million, something like that. I think it would be fair for him. God, and, can you
2: and, ma- Can you imagine that? So if he gets that compared to like what Orlando paid DJ Augustine and what De- De- Detroit paid ish Smith.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows whether Mills will be as good outside of San Antonio. I think he'll actually will translate reasonably well. Um, well and mills, but, you know, mills
2: who... would do really well if they can find a system with this with a guy who's kind of ball dominant that plays next to him like he can play on and off in a way that a lot of these other guys cannot
1: right and i think he would be a very nice fit in philly for example depending on, on what happens there he'd be a great uh, fit in utah Brown. george hill left yeah th- that's a good one too uh but For San Antonio, it'll be a very interesting calculation because they'll have his full bird rights. His cap hold is pretty small, but they are unlikely to have much in the way of cap space so no opportunity cost to just signing him to enough to keep him this year but then if they want to get into free agency in the summer of 2018 when aldridge can be a free agent and danny green and parker comes off the books and gasol who's likely to opt in for next year comes off the books now maybe you don't want to take on money past 2018 so what what do you do there when he gets bigger offers elsewhere because then again san antonio there he's a valuable piece are they going to be able to replace him parker is on his last legs they need somebody else there he's been he's really important for them he's almost a a bellwether so that's gonna be interesting to see what kind of an offer you would imagine he'd want to stay in san antonio but i just don't know how many years san antonio is really going to want to offer him and then you know we'll see what happens with san antonio too i mean if they if san antonio just you know, loses to houston in the second round or they just get completely destroyed by the warriors in the conference finals and they just say hey you know what like we still got this money for parker and gasol on the books we can't really get any better so we're not going to win next year anyway we don't want to take that makes them less likely to even take on more long-term money and so i think that would be more likely to make mills be gone um then you get into uh derek rose who's 29 i think his stock was really hurt well because he did some crazy stuff this year but but also that knee surgery, because his selling point was, oh, my God, he actually made it through two years in a row without a major injury and played most of the year. And then he suffers a, a torn meniscus on that left knee, the, the knee that had the ACL repair, uh, although, I mean, both his knees are pretty jacked up at, at this point. So he seems like a guy who's going to be on the rajon rondo career path uh i could totally see him ending up in sacramento on like a one-year deal with like a second year you know partial nine guarantee or something like that uh, who else um sticks out to you on this list I mean, we've got sean livingston who is almost like not even really a point guard anymore like he can't really run pick and roll he, he can bring the ball up and get into the post and defend a little bit but you know he's kind of limited really to playing like 20 minutes a game so he, now we're getting into really like pure backup types darren williams at, at 33 and then you know you got like brandon jennings ty lawson 27 and 29 respectively i think that's kind of a uh, the last of the tier of guys that you're like okay this guy is at least you know a decent backup that we can feel good about and then you kind of get down into the more lower end backup fringy type of guys
2: the most shocking thing about this point guard class it's it's strong at the top very strong at the top i mean the best position if we're if we're breaking it down into single positions the best one there power forward is strong too there are basically zero flyer guys That are going to be available really on the restricted market or the unrestricted market. I mean,
1: I got one for you. Okay. Tyler Ennis the Kevin Pelton special guy on a terrible team who was young and everyone gave up on and actually randomly played pretty well I saw a little bit of Lakers down the end not as much probably as a lot of people uh when a lot of people are named Kevin Pelton but uh he actually really improved his defense I thought and was actually like hitting shots a little bit and he will be an unrestricted free agent because the Rockets declined his uh fourth year option the Lakers the most that they can offer him is going to be like you know three million bucks I actually would be willing to take like a flyer on him and hope that he develops into a capable backup one card he's still only 22 I never really cared for his game but I saw a lot of growth from him on both ends in that Lakers stint and I think you know with his age I would just give it a shot I mean I'm not saying he's going to solve all your problems but you could end up with like a pretty nice deal there if you lock him up for you know like something like a three-year nine million dollar deal or something like that you know uh i mean he might want a shorter deal of thinking he has some upside uh but you know that could, could he could be interesting i think he's got a little bit of potential uh the only other guy who will be a restricted free agent and i need to put him in that category actually i have him in the wrong category is uh ron baker at age 24 but he, he's a little older so i'm not about to say that he's like you know someone you're going to sign and think you might have a solution at backup point guard
2: also baker not only is he restricted but i'm not sure this is going to be relevant he's subject to the arenas provision meaning that other teams uh, can it
1: will not be relevant <laughs> <laughs> he, he will not be getting enough money to, to bring and, that into play also yeah go ahead sorry
2: And something that i think was was fascinating when i was i was looking back a little bit at our, our ranking sheet from last year was the variance in this rotation tier in terms of the money that guys got so jeremy lynn was on the he was kind of the darren collison patty mills last year where he's like oh he's he, he could he probably start we got that so he got like low end starter money but then ramon sessions got like six million ish and dj got i think seven eight but longer term deals but then Felton took the minimum Chalmers didn't even get a contract cuz he was coming back from the ACL Vasquez got Achilles know, he like, Achilles. Achilles sorry Vasquez we get like 4 million something like that
1: Yeah he he was and he was injured anyway so and, and then it, Brandon Jennings another guy coming off still in Achilles he got 1 year 5 million from the Knicks and probably doesn't figure to do much better than that next year either so and, and Livingston's another interesting one because you know the, the Warriors will have full bird rights on him I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they were able to afford to bring him back. Um, uh, but all that depends, of course, on Kevin Durant and whether, you know, which we've talked about ad nauseum, whether he takes the max or just takes, you know, the non Bird exception and, and lets him keep Iguodala and uh, Livingston. Uh, last thing here, but I mean, there's a bunch of guys who are really down the bottom that, you know, I don't think we need to talk about at all here, but uh, the restricted free agents are horrendous this year. Uh, Trey Burke, totally out of the rotation in Washington. I thought he could maybe resurrect his career. That did not prove to be the case. We mentioned Ron Baker and then Michael Carter Williams. So you have to imagine imagine uh you know, Burke and Carter Williams are probably not even going to get qualifying offers. Uh, and then Langston Galloway, he has a player option for about $5 million with the Kings. I would imagine he'll probably opt into that. But if he does opt out, then he would still be a restricted free agent as a guy with three years of experience.
2: He did not exactly impress this year with the Kings.
1: That's right. Oh, One guy I want to, um, I, yeah, I don't necessarily
2: ahead. say we have to have a conversation about him, but I'm intrigued by what happens with Sergio Rodriguez. He's had some nice little flashes this year. He's still, I mean, considering it feels like he's been around for a life time he'll he's 31 so he could help a team but also what he prioritizes because he could of course go back to europe if he wants to would he rather do that than be a backup point guard in the
1: nba for a solid team yeah rodriguez made uh was on a one-year eight million dollar deal this year and he actually ended up shooting better on three pointers than i thought he shot 37 percent on threes which it seemed like earlier in the year he just could not make a three he's totally powerless inside the arc but still a guy who can pass and he played 68 games but struggled with some hamstring injuries as all spanish point guards must uh but yeah it'll be interesting to see i mean if he goes back to like a real madrid where he's been you know how much do they want him um and how much can they pay him versus versus here i mean you know i, I would take like a one one year four million dollar deal for him you know i'd probably rather have him than ramon sessions who actually has a team option but after he had surgery and he's 31 you would imagine that, that might get declined that's for six million so he, he might be out on the market again but yeah i mean nobody too sexy down the end of, of that list i mean ennis is the only guy i look at well like, what hey, i want to mention
2: and you know these guys better than i do is this could be a great year for teams that are interested in european point guards so whether that be yeah, the more, a lot of more buzz step- around
1: teodosic this year yeah um, and
2: sir if, I, I don't know what sergio yule's contract situation is the rockets still have right of first refusal on him but
1: yeah i mean yeah he was a second round pick so he's not a yeah. free agent so i didn't right. really but and then uh nando decolo as well i think he i'll have to look into what his contract situation is but he you know is probably the best guard in europe right now teodosic if i had to slot him in here you know i'd kind of put him in like the darren williams sean livingston category uh he's a little bit older he would be one of the absolute worst defensive players in the nba he is a magical passer to be sure okay shooter you know if teams go under not amazing i think you know and and especially considering that he would have to adjust the nba three-point line i'm not sure how well he could do that and then he's not a guy who really can score at the rim at all you know so uh he could throw some great passes will run a pick and roll but and we've seen like you know he's sort of like a taller rodriguez in some ways and better passer even than rodriguez but if you can't actually score in the pick and roll in the nba it makes it really hard to then open up your passing game because you're just getting guarded in the pick and roll two on two so uh you need to be able to hit shots and be able to finish at the rim at least a little bit to be a good passing pick and roll point guard you know so you could see him as kind of like ricky rubio with a little better jump shot and like way worse defense you know is kind of how you might picture him and so that, I, I definitely don't think he could be a starting player but you know maybe he'll get starting starter money for a year or two in a place like sacramento just come over and like kind of be fun and, you know... Get, get a chance in the nba but if he were in his mid-20s i'd feel better about it but he's really kind of in his late 20s and I, that happens to a lot of european guys i wish they w- would be able to find a way to come over here at like 25 or 26 but it just doesn't seem to happen that way
2: i was trying to think of a team where Teodosic would be interesting but i think part of what needs to happen there is just see who gets you know who gets a young point guard who gets into those fits because y- y- i think you like him best as a i would love to see him actually most as a straight backup on a legitimately good team i don't think he's going to be like great in the playoffs yeah. but I well, think he, he's a
1: very prideful player too so you know I, I i think that there may not be a team that's willing to offer him as big of a role as he hosts but there's so much more money in the nba now than europe too that that could end up being a big factor you know where if the i mean rodriguez that's why he came over right like a you know eight one year eight million you know you're not getting that in europe anymore. like if drew
2: um, left would new orleans make sense
1: yeah i mean it, or anywhere really where they just don't have like a great pick and roll point guard but uh when they just need someone who can run a pick and roll and they've got some other uh yeah i think I think it would make sense for sure but uh there if they need someone who can handle the ball and just set up those guys davis and cousins um all right this is going on way too long here but it was fun to start really thinking about free agency in this way and uh, we're gonna have a ton more free agency content obviously which uh, of course culminates in our our, uh, mock-off season and then you know reviews of every single signing that happens in the off season as well so stay tuned for all that thanks so much for listening movement watches is one of our sponsors today mvmt watches.com slash space gets you 15 percent off your order and also a great way for international listeners to support the podcast because they ship out there and then zip recruiter you can post jobs for free at ziprecruiter.com slash cap space talk to you all tomorrow night till then